This podcast is brought to you by nbs.fm, the no bullshit podcast network. Hey guys, so I just finished my interview with Rachel from Tribal App. So Tribal App officially launched in May 2020, but you hear from Rachel, it's been 10 years in the making after she left the armed forces as an Apache pilot. I know, pretty cool. Just finished raising $2 million, but it has not been an easy journey. And I think the key message that we pull out of this story is the importance of storytelling and building community around a single vision. Enjoy. And just a quick bit about Rachel. As Adam just mentioned, Rachel is the founder of Tribal App that launched in May 2020. She raised $2 million and validated with 2,500 users with a 95% retention rate. Rachel Jackson is a graduate of the United States Military Academy, a former army captain, an Apache helicopter pilot. She holds a degree in engineering physics with a minor in nuclear engineering, but found her passion in entrepreneurship and helping connect people to a more meaningful life. She believes in the power of strategic storytelling to connect people in more meaningful relationships and to resources for hope, help and purpose and wants to partner with leaders to help them create stronger, more inspired and more resilient organizations. So now, please enjoy this interview with Adam Callow and Rachel Jackson, founder and CEO of Tribal App. Rachel, hugely appreciate you jumping on the mics with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much for asking. Um, before we get into the meat and bones of the conversation today, after having a look through your background, I can't avoid the topic of conversation with your with your sort of career trajectory so far. Could you just give people an insight to one, who you are, cover briefly off what you're doing today, and then take us back to where you started your career? Sure. So currently I'm co-founder and CEO of the Tribal app. And I, I guess my journey to this point kind of started when my mom called the army recruiter and I enlisted in the army <laughs> out of high school uh, and then found a, a back door into West Point, graduated West Point um, and went to flight school and became an Apache pilot and was privileged and honored to serve with the first cab division at Fort Hood, Texas um, until I left the military. I have a huge amount of respect for that journey that you've been on. And this is coming from someone that, um, what is it about? Probably about nine years ago now. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So uh, I joined the forces, applied for military intelligence, uh, did phase one, did that. Then uh, while I was going through that period of uh, uh, my life, met my now wife uh, mm -hmm. and realized that I was just sort of trying to run away from what was going on in my day-to-day -day life. That's why I joined the forces. I ended up leaving that to start my business. Um, but a huge amount of respect for that. Um, I, I don't want to give up the opportunity. What were the key learnings that you took away from that period of your life? Uh, joining the military was the best thing that I ever did. Um, uh, my mom obviously called the recruiter for a reason. Uh, I was a teenager <laughs> headed down the path of destruction and the military took my very headstrong, uh, stubborn self, uh, broke me down and made me something useful, uh, some, uh, a person who could be um, valuable to society. I think, uh, you know, sometimes left to our own devices, we choose to uh, follow our spirit and where we, where we want to go, uh, even if it, to the detriment of our own selves and, and those around us. And that's where I was headed. So I credit the military with teaching me uh, respect and honor and integrity and personal courage and 
selfless service and all the, the values of the, um, that the military instills, I, I really took to heart and found uh, a community uh, that, that helped me thrive. So I'm very thankful to that. It, and it, it honestly taught me the warrior mindset, which uh, I believe is critical to entrepreneurial success, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned it. And when you were talking about that, then it sort of felt very parallel to my thinking is I kind of was uh, self-sabotage was something that was um, quite prevalent in my life growing up from sort of the ages of like 17 to 23. Uh, and some of those values you just mentioned, I still remember actually, we had something called sea drills, which was written on the wall everywhere when I was in phase one, which was courage. Um, Duty. Maybe <laughs> respect, integrity, loyalty, and selflessness. So yeah, uh, I, yeah. The fact that they—I love the way you explained it. They break you down to your simplest parts and then build you back up to the best version of yourself. Uh, yeah. I, I was only there for six months, but even in that period, they—they—they they, they taught me a lot. And I guess, I guess, the thing they taught me that stuck with me most is I'm—I'm I'm a ninja with an iron. That's the one thing that I took <laughs> away. I didn't really get much shooting experience with the time that I was there, but I'm really good with an iron. Good. Um, <laughs> so just give me some context how long were you in the military for um i was in the military for about 10 years all given so that's quite a quite a period of time to then yeah. transfer into where you are today so just take me back to when you left the military and then talk to me about that part of your life i'd love to just understand the transition to how you ended up being the ceo and co-founder of tribal yeah, well, leaving the military was not my choice. Um, okay. I actually, it happened very um, suddenly and unexpectedly. Oh, well, I mean, the situation, the, the, the leaving did not. But um, I was deployed to Iraq. Um, and when I was over there, started having some very uh, concerning medical symptoms, started blacking out for no reason. And uh, they don't like pilots to do that, turns out. So. <laughs> They grounded me, sent me stateside to uh, figure out what was going on and um, couldn't really completely identify everything, but found some brain lesions and some nerve damage and uh, other things. And so uh, I was subsequently medically discharged. Uh, and so in the span of seven months, where I had built my identity up in my future <laughs> vision of myself to be Apache pilot and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, commander and whatnot. Um, I, I found it taken away from me and actually found myself going through a really dark time of transition, of uncertainty, of depression, of not knowing what the future held for me. And um, and I'm I'm a, a believer in Christ, and so uh, during that time, actually really started discovering my relationship with him and figuring out what my uh, next steps were going to be and learning how to uh, take my plan. And again, you know, my plan before going to the military was not exactly the best plan for me. Um, you know, the military uh, did some, did a lot of good things in, in straightening me out. I feel like God kind of broke me down and, and started making me useful um, for my next stage of life uh, in that kind of dark time. So um, I, I had no idea what my civilian story was going to be, what my civilian worth was, what my skill sets were. I mean, I had a degree in 
physics and nuclear engineering, but I was not good at that. And I did not want to go to graduate school or anything like that. So, um, you know, it just, uh, I, God started walking me to the next part of my story. I got uh, a job um, with a company called SAIC uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, and I fell in love. They, they had this culture back then of entrepreneurialism, um, and they would really encourage their employees to build business, uh, business uh, with the government and otherwise. And I just, I loved I love the idea of researching problems and solutions and strategies um, to accomplish those solutions and um, found my niche there. And so I think that's where I got the bug of entrepreneurialism. That That's cool. I guess one thing that I want to, I guess, just draw a parallel with right now that might be able to help some of the audience is with, with your story, you sort of had... Uh, you had sort of, yeah, I like the way you pitched it is you said like your identity was tied up with the military and you had that mm-hmm. taken away. And, and, and sadly with what's going on in the world right now, I'm seeing a lot of people that I know in the networks I, that I roll in, that they're being let go from jobs and they're sort of going through this thing right now where everything that they've worked towards, um, career path, identity, it's not necessarily the job and the income that they're really struggling with. It's, it's that identity piece. How did you... I guess I just want to try and work out, is there anything that you can share to help that helped you uh, pull you through that time to be receptive to new things that went on in your life? Uh, Outside of my relationship with the Lord and a couple of very close friends. um, I, I, I feel at this point in time, I actually can look back on that time and say that I feel blessed that I got to go through that like that period of depression in my life Um, because I was allowed to go through it Mm -hmm. and um, I didn't have a family, you know, I didn't have kids or a job that I needed to be at during that transition period, you know? Um, And so I was allowed to kind of hurt. (laughs) And sometimes when you're going through fire or you're going through difficult times, um, there's a lot of refining that can happen. And what my prayer was at that time was just like, help me. You know, I couldn't necessarily explain it. I, like, I actually had a lot of questions like, why are you doing this? What are you doing? What's, you know, like I, I, it was raw and, and hard and painful. Um, and it's okay to have those emotions and be angry and, and go through pain and suffering. And that's okay. But if you're open to it and you find a couple of really good friends. And I, I honestly had one that I remember <laughs> my friend, my best friend, Melaine, um, you know, who is willing to walk with you um, and kind of coach and counsel you and just speak wisdom and hope into your life. Um, you know, can you be open to this idea of being refined? You know, um, metal goes through fire and gets formed and shaped, you know, diamonds are, are uh, created out of compression and, you know, pressurized, a lot of pressure, you know, and so um, if you keep the bigger perspective that we do have a real purpose in life and that um, our purpose in life generally for me is really tied to my relationship with the Lord, but our purpose in life should be bigger than us and that uh, 
somebody, something, something is working us out to, to move us closer to achieving that purpose. And it may not look like how we thought it was going to look, and it may not look, you know, but oftentimes when you get to the other side of that story, you can look back and say, oh, you know, now, now I get it, you know, but going through the hard times, it's, um, it's not fun. It's not for the faint of heart, but for those who find themselves in that situation, um, perspective can shift a lot of things. And, and there's a lot of opportunity to take something that was intended for evil or for bad um, and turn it around for something that can be used for good um, and the impact um, uh, in, in your family and your friends and in your community around you. Um, uh, that's, I think that's the spirit of entrepreneurialism <laughs> is, you know, taking something and finding the solution and figuring out the strategy to make that something good, whether that's just in your own life or in your community. Yeah. I really love the way you speak about that. It felt, it felt like one of the key takeaways for me there was not necessarily fighting against it, but processing it. And you're allowed to ask the questions and process it. And then, mm -hmm. and then seeking counsel from people that you, that you trust and not trying to Wisdom. go through yeah not trying to go through it alone uh, and then one thing i'm learning about right now personally is um stoicism it's just something that i'm interested in right now uh, and what they talk about is the the obstacle is the way uh and it's sort of you might have all these plans and then something comes across your path that stops you from being on the path that you thought that you meant to be on uh where the truth is is that is always the path that you're meant to be on you just meant to push yourself through to overcome the obstacle and that was always part of your journey which kind of feels like what you were saying which is yeah it's interesting um yeah your story can can be used for a lot of interesting things and mm -hmm. if you yeah so uh let, let's jump jump back onto the path of your sort of career uh you're at saic you is that is that the right company name saic yes SS, and you, you sort of then start to develop this entrepreneurialism bug uh talk to me about what happens then well what happens then is the opposite of entrepreneurialism i went actually went and worked for the government as a civilian <laughs> <laughs> so uh but if you allow it to you can learn and grow through all phases and, and i met a lot of people um, and, and had a lot of like contributing experiences that I can um, pull from and, and tie to where I am now. So I appreciate all that. But um, so I was on the, the path to government security and, and doing some good stuff. Um, you know, I was working with the software um, engineering directorate and doing some contracting things and stuff. So I, I got some skill sets there. Um, then my mom passed away in 2010. So and at that, yeah, and then at that point in time, I, when I looked at her story, you know, um, she struggled with all kinds of things until the day she died. Um, she basically spent the last seven years of her life in and out of bed, in and out of hospital rooms and that, um, you know, just a lot of issues. And then um, I actually ended up struggling with my faith at that point in time. Um, and, you know, went, went through another probably three month period of kind of questions and hard times as you can imagine mm -hmm. and uh all i could do is say you know lord help me help me get through this help me believe help me help me figure this out and um what he did was he walked me through my story uh everything that i had been through and how he had been with me in my story and at the end of that i was like you know what i believe because i've experienced you in my story and um i, I want to do something and he said well you're gonna 
reach millions of people who need to be connected to hope, help, and purpose and to a greater sense of meaning in life because that was my mom, that was me, and that was the soldiers I had been surrounded with and that's the people I had been surrounded with in business and in the government. Everybody has a story and most people are looking for some kind of sense of hope, help, or purpose in their life at one time or another. Um, it may not be all the time, mm -hmm. but everybody's going to come up against some kind of obstacle, some kind of hard time in their life. Um, and, and if they haven't, <laughs> you know, God bless you. Great for you, you know, but it's more than likely going to happen here. Um, and, and you can be that person who goes through it and then gives back. And you can be that person who um, helps others along the way. And so um, that was the genesis of what is now tribal, um, this concept of uh, connecting people to hope, help, and purpose. And the way that um, I believe we were told to do this was to use the power of strategic storytelling um, to connect people to resources for hope, help, and purpose, like practical resources um, on a community basis. And then also to the relationships that give meaning to life. Um, and so uh, that's the genesis of um, what is now tribal. Um, I, I guess uh, w one thing personally from my perspective, I, I lost my dad last year. Um, oh, and uh, it's okay. And it, I guess it's, it's amazing that life events trigger naturally they trigger a lot of internal th thought uh, confusion and just second guessing what we're doing. Uh, and I think it's interesting to see how, how we come through it on the other side stronger because there's, there's very few times in my life where I've met people and people have shared stories about when they've lost um, close ones or big life events. And I guess to your point is I like the way that you said the metal goes through fire and molds. It kind of feels like that's what happens uh, and, uh, yeah, I think I'm just still trying to work out what that, what the level of impact that is for me, uh, in my, in my life. And I'm still trying to make sense of it. Um, and everybody has a different journey in a different way in a different process and that's okay. In a different timeline too, you know, um, and some people, some people allow hard times and life events to mold them, grow them, change them, strengthen them into something more, greater, better. Um, and some people use, have life events that completely derail them. And I think, you know, if I look at my mom, life events kind of derailed her from what we looked at as success, you know, and I don't ever want anybody to feel like they have to use life events to become something great or something mm -hmm. better, you know, like, Honestly, uh, and I know not, not everybody's a, a Christian or believes in Jesus, but my mom, till the day she died, you know, in her hospital rooms, the first thing she would say to people when they came in is, now, honey, do you love Jesus? You know, and so to me, she was still a warrior. She was still being used in her story for good things. And it wasn't because she had it all together or she was all perfect or she had, she was a strong thing, you know is because she allowed herself to be used in that moment for good. And so I, I call, um, I call, I called her a, a warrior, you know, like, uh, you, she's not exactly what you would think of as the warrior spirit, but every day that she chose, I think we all have different levels of being warriors and every day that she chose to, to wake up and try again, 
um, was her kind of act of war of um, making some kind of impact in this world, you know, and, and, and her level of impact was her neighbors or the people who visited her, you know, um, and so other people have different levels of impact and that's okay. We all have a story and we all have a role to play. Talk about story. What do you mean by strategic storytelling? What does that mean? So to me, strategic storytelling means is that you're telling a story for a strategic objective or a goal. You're trying to convey some kind of vision, mission, um, uh, message, uh, or accomplish something like even just connecting people in closer relationships, um, uh, letting people get to know you a little bit more. I think there's strategy for that because I think relationships lead to great things. Um, and so, but then I also think that stories need to be done in a respectful, compelling manner. And I think that through the use of social media and other tools out there that we've kind of lost the art of storytelling and that it's somewhat become a little bit overdone and underappreciated. But the power of strategic storytelling, a compelling story is unparalleled to, um, I mean, scientifically proven to interrupt our own survival instincts. <laughs> when we're engaged in a story, um, you know, we retain much more uh, from lessons learned from a compelling story. Um, and so I, I find a need to get back to the real root and the power of quality, well done stories um, that also respect stories. So. A lot of people share a lot of things that they have no business sharing because it's not theirs to share or they, they don't, you know, they don't have permission, whatever it is. And, and that can be dangerous. So to me, that's not powerful storytelling. That's actually dangerous storytelling when you destroy people with your stories. Um, so, and then the other thing about strategic storytelling is, is that I believe it needs to be done if, um, in, a, in a way where it's actually heard by your target market. So, uh, meaning if you tell a story and it's a great story, but nobody hears it, then does it matter? Mm -hmm. Or if they hear it, but forget it, you know, or whatever it is, you know, then, then does it matter if it was told? And to me, I, I think given just the sheer amount of noise in the world that leaders or people who want to make a change in this world, whether in their families, in their, uh, churches and their schools and their workplaces and their nonprofits and their communities, whatever it is, leaders are literally at war for the hearts and minds of their people and are struggling to connect with the people that they want to lead to some sort of meaningful action. And so they need a platform that can help them reach the people and cut through the noise. And so that's where tribal comes in is where that platform, um, that, that helps them reach their, their market and build up their ambassadors, their tribe, so to speak. So that's a huge mission that for, for me in, ter in terms of how to achieve that. And I guess on a very, very micro scale is how I just heard what you were talking about is my team has now moved to working remote because of the nature of COVID. Um, and even me right now as the CEO of our small company is getting my staff's attention and trying to cut through the noise um, in a compassionate way that makes them feel still engaged to the culture of the business 
that is challenging. That's something that I'm personally trying to work on because I don't think we'll ever go back to five days a week office based. How do you you take that big of a mission and package it up into a product or a service? Could you just take me through like how you thought about this and the iterations when you got this started? When did you start this concept? When did you first go, actually, this is my life mission. And then what were the next steps that you took? Well, I first started the concept back (laughs) a few months after my mom died. So, but it's been a long, 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 long journey of constant growth and research and refinement. So um, and encouragement for other entrepreneurs out there is I've, I've read that it takes an average of 10 years to be an overnight success. So keep, keep refining, keep, keep moving on, you know, but, but our vision is big. Our mission is big, but we do break it down bite-sized pieces for those kinds of leaders. And so for business leaders, we tell them that tribal is a relationship building platform that can help them build strong, inclusive, resilience, and inspired teams. Uh, and, and it's simple. It's really simple that <laughs> we offer services, but the, the, the tool uh, is their own private network. Um, and we help them tell their stories and we focus on your stories and your employees get to share these stories and we guide them. We give them prompts, questions to answer, you know, and, and so as, as employees feel safe to open up and share some stories and leaders lead by example, it share stories and it's not like the most depressing things i mean we we try to angle things towards hope and you know there's fun and there's other things mixed in there too but uh when when people especially leaders open up and share just a little bit things they've been through like i've shared with you now stuff i've been through and how i've overcome and where that's taken me uh the resulting levels of trust are exponential. And there's um, a book called Culture Code by Daniel Coyle that talks about just the trust that results. And if trust is the number one um, uh, currency required right now in business as we do remote business, um, sharing your story is the best way to exponentially garner trust in your organization. And then as your people start to feel like they can share their stories and they'll be able to be accepted and it's okay for them to be people at work and that, you know, we can support each other like that. Um, then the, the resulting relationships that develop are incredible. Um, we've had so many case studies of just people. <laughs> like we had one, one lady say, I'll tell you the number one reason why we need this app is because until I read Andre's story about him having an autistic child at home, I thought I was the only one and I didn't want to bring my mess to work because I didn't want my boss to think bad about me or, you know, to to look down on, you know, if I needed to take a day off or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. but with her having Andre, she was able to connect with him as a support system. And then they ended up actually starting a support group for parents of autistic kids for the, like the community at large. And so to me, that was a perfect microcosm of how stories connect people in relationships and then relationships move people to meaningful action. You're, you're clearly, um, you've clearly been doing this for a, a good amount of time because what we're hearing now is extremely clear. You've got your messaging and you're, na- you're nailing the, the vision that you're, you're driving towards. In order to sort of make this relatable for the people that listen to this show, you, you said a great phrase, which was, it's a, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. 
what was the first thing that you did to try and package this up into a business? Like how did this, it was a great thing that I heard probably for the first time the other day. And it feels like it's an old phrase. It says, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. What was the first bite that you took to get this into a commercial product that you could actually go and speak to other business owners and sell in? Sure. So about four and a half years ago, um, I, like when I started on this journey, I didn't even have a smartphone. I had no idea what an app was. Like <laughs> I, had a, I had a government Blackberry and thought I was cool. So the, uh, <laughs> you laugh, but it's the truth. <laughs> I, can, well, I was laughing actually because you said the trust element as well. And I can imagine that the government does not empower a lot of trust and autonomy into the role. So yeah, it'll just be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So when, when I started on this journey, you know, I, I, my first business idea was, oh, let's start a magazine. Like I, I thought starting a print magazine would be a great idea. So, you know, but if you let it, everything can, can move you to your next step, you know? So we got picked up by Barnes and Noble and Books a Million with our very first issue. It was called Shattered Magazine. It was more of a faith-based, um, magazine but just shared people's stories mm -hmm. uh, of hope and help and purpose and so i you know i i felt extremely validated that we got picked up by barnes and noble and books and books a million and we we printed for three years which wow. was a good, i mean you know i would have people who believed in us so much that they would literally hand me checks to pay for printing and not want um anything in return uh, so that it, I can tell that we had a lot, we had hits on something and the feedback that we would get from people like, man, I'm not a Christian, but I, I read every story. I related to all the stories, you know, like, and I, I found so much encouragement, you know, or people who would come up to me and they would know me in the community as the shattered lady. Uh, so I had the privilege of hearing so many people's stories and just, hearing from them that the stories helped them you know made me realize that we were on the same path or, or a good path and so about four and a half years ago we started thinking okay I need to um we need to reach people where they are which is digitally mm -hmm. <laughs> and figure out how to move them from that overwhelming social media presence right where we're just consuming more and more and more you know but it's leading to isolation and move them to meaningful relationships again um, community-based relationships and so I st we started trying to raise money um and we started with this b2c concept of just uh people joining and sharing stories right well we live in i live in huntsville alabama not silicon valley so it was very very hard to convince investors to invest in um in that concept what was, but, the, what was the model then just that curiosity the b2c who pays i mean it, it was literally uh join for free and upgrade you know like monetize on the back end okay kind of deal. Freemium um, model. right a freemium model um uh but and rightfully so i think investors were like well why would people want to you know like how would we get people to join and stuff because the competition to get people like mm -hmm. from social networks or to, you know, kind of join a new network is, is rough. And so uh, we had investors pushing us and I'm thankful to think strategically about, well, how are we going to get people to join the platform and to use the platform? 
Um, and then how are we going to become profitable? So those were two things that the investors really wanted. Two to know. good questions <laughs> to ask, to be honest. Yep. So, so we were really, really forced to answer that question of how can we get people to join the platform and what's our path to profitability and what timeline. And so uh, to that end, we pivoted to a B2B model um, where we realized that corporate America was in the best position to reach people mm -hmm. and also had a huge upside to benefiting from building a tighter community and a greater sense of meaning at work. And so in offering leaders these platforms and then teaching them how to be great digital community building leaders and uh, making it an effective and efficient platform for them, then they would get people on and we would get people would get to experience it and then they could start their own tribes and then we would grow that way. Um, and so that's how we figured we would get people to the platform. And then that also solved our path to profitability because uh, the business leaders pay the access fees um, or uh, the tribe leaders would pay the access fees for their people to join. So, and so, yeah, so just on that, so you're thinking uh, B2B access like the spearhead uh, goes top down into the business, uh, forces an adoption mechanism inside a company. And then in theory, uh, John, who works at the company, loves being part of that tribe and goes, actually, I want to create my own tribe because I've got my own niche community because we all love fishing. And I'm going to create a fishing community in there. Right. Uh, and, or and I'm then, part of a nonprofit or I want my family to be on a tribe or I'm, you know, like, yeah. Nice. So this, that makes sense. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's really right. smart. So we have like a real hyper local focus where we believe the most powerful networks are ones you can reach out and have coffee or lunch with, right? That's, mm -hmm. those are the most power. That's where real change happens in our communities. Um, and so honestly, we were at the red line, like totally had no money. <laughs> For the, and I'm trying to pitch investors on this B2B model, but they couldn't see it. And I didn't have a prototype. And I'm trying to draw it out on paper and stuff, you know. And uh, I got told no by one investor. And it was, it was somebody I was like, I, had, I thought we had a good shot of getting them to invest. And uh, I remember my, my husband um, was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to happen. You know, maybe, maybe you should quit and, you know, go back to your government job. And uh, I got a little upset at that. And, you know, he's like, well, why, why are you upset? You know, and I said, well, I said at this stage, most people invest because they believe in the person, the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, and so it hurts, you know. Um, and the next day I'm, I'm in a meeting with my team and my husband text messages me in the middle of the team. He said, he said, I will invest. And I'm like, invest in what? And he said, I will invest in you. And so he actually pulled out uh, $25,000 from his retirement account in a loan and gave it to us. And we used that to build a, um, our prototype. And once we had the prototype, the investors were like, oh, I see. I get it. Yeah. And, and so we were, since then, we've been able to raise $2 million and have- um, What a move from your husband. I'm telling you. <laughs> what, a, what a move from your husband. I, I guess there's, there's two things there is completely agree with your point at that, at that stage is people are betting on the jockey, not the horse, as I like to say. Um, I heard, heard that on another podcast. And that really resonated with me. It's so early in the in the business that they're betting on you. Um, 
but I guess one of the key learnings for people listening as well is when your investors had something to, to touch and play with from a prototype perspective, it made it easier for them to understand and invest. Yes. So what was the first thing that you built? What was that? And what was it? How, how was it to take me through the process of getting your first customer? How was, how, how did that happen? Yeah. So I, one thing you need to know as an entrepreneur is your network is key. So build relationships, build relationships, build relationships, and don't just be all in it for you. You know, um, that, that relationships are probably more valuable than funds, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, um, I reached out to relationships that I had built in our local community with businesses and we had, um, seven, eight businesses agreed to kind of alpha test and help us. Um, and so we built, our, our alpha product um, and started using it in their companies and getting feedback um, and that agile build process of build, measure, learn, and, you know, um, rinse, repeat, <laughs> keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up launching our beta products um, about six months after our alpha kept getting um, more and more feedback, better and better feedback. Um, and then we, we ended up, uh, releasing our MVP in November of last year. So, um, and now we're on the search for product market fit. Um, but we are officially post revenue. So, uh, we do, we do have a value for tribes and, and we have a lot of, um, support services to make it awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, now our goal is to make that scalable <laughs> and profitable and uh and then to make the platform um a little bit more scalable as well so i, I have a, like a i guess a a question that relates to my experience as a founder so the heart and soul of what we do at expert trades is community-based so we we try to build the largest community of trade professionals in the uk and then plug in what they need to help them run a professional and profitable business so that we know the only reason we've managed to grow our business is based on the relationship we've built with our community so community through and through one thing that i struggle with is i'm i'm a little bit technical but not technical enough to build the products that we need how did right. you how did you find that being someone that printed a magazine for three years i'm just going to say it as it is and then has now built um <laughs> a, a technology product and platform how have you found that being the ceo of that company and have you got any tips for people listening if they are non-technical trying to build a product Oh my goodness. Again, relationships are key. And, 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 and being willing to bring people in and share and not be so possessive about control or ownership, uh, you know, and being willing to listen to people who are smarter than you in other areas, I think is, is key. Uh, I have been so blessed to have um, an amazing business partner with me for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. Uh, an amazing team at Shattered. I had a team of like, almost like volunteers, <laughs> you know, pretty much unpaid. Uh, some of them paid me to work for me. So, um, <laughs> like they that's when you know you're onto something. You know what I mean? It's like when the market's pulling it out of you and pulling you along. I got that impression earlier that you knew there was something in what you were doing, even in the print magazine, because the market was pulling it out of you. That, that's sort of right. what I took away. Yeah. So the, um, I, but we were, I tell you just, and I know that God lined a lot of this stuff up for us looking back, you know, um, Lee Danley is one of our co-founders and he was, his wife was my first friend in Huntsville. They ended up moving to Colorado 
they became friends with a guy named John Weiss, who is co-founder of a company named Human Design. Um, they had this app development and full service marketing agency, and they're moving up into like kind of high scale um, marketing services and whatnot. But got connected with John Weiss. John became a co-founder. He helped us as a kind of a, um, connect us to our first developers. Um, and then we started building our own dev team. And so we have our, our own internal dev team. And like, I tell you, they, our team blows me away at how committed they are. And um, I have people who have, uh, because, you know, right now with COVID and stuff, we're kind of facing a little bit of a cash crisis. Mm -hmm. But I have developers who are saying, you know, like, hey, I want Tribal to be a success. You know, I will work in my off time, if I have to go and get uh, a different contracting job, you know, like, and, and I still want to see tribal succeed. I have other people offering to help us for, you know, no, no money, just um, in exchange for some equity. Of course, I, I want to do that, offer people equity, um, I have people taking pay cuts. I have everybody on our team is just, they're like, we want to see this succeed because it's so important. And but that's, so because, that's because you've done your job as a CEO of getting them bought into the mission and the vision of what you're building. How did you do that? Like, what was, what was your tips and hacks to getting people to see your vision and buy into it? Because financial commitments for people are real and for people to want to hustle on the side and support you and sort of get you through these hard times, that's a real sign that you've, they're bought in. How did you yeah. do it? I think your story is so important. My story uh, I think sharing my passion, sharing our purpose, being open and honest, I have always been transparent. And my team tells me they completely appreciate that. You know, like I'm like, I give uh, company updates on cash flow. I don't hide anything from them. Um, you know, I, I update our investors all the time. You know, I, I keep my board updated. Um, there's, there's nothing hidden, nothing that I, I, I hide from them. Um, and I encourage them and I lift them up and I tell them how much they're appreciated because I recognize that without them, this wouldn't happen. And so as an entrepreneur and a leader, you have to be humble and realize that you're not the end all be all and that great leaders surround themselves with even greater people. And so, um, like acknowledging that my team is better than me is great. You know, like, I mean, they, they all have their skills and their strengths and, and they compliment me in my weaknesses and my you know the areas that i need to grow and so um i think being open to that and willing to acknowledge that you know we all we all bring something to the table and then recognizing and appreciating people listening to them and valuing them for who they are accepting them wherever they whatever stage they are in life and and allowing them to be themselves i think has been awesome uh and guess and I mean, we have the advantage of having a really big vision, mm -hmm. which can be very inspiring. Um, and I think our team is totally bought in to this concept that we, we actually believe we can help make the world a better place. <laughs> you know, and that sounds like cheesy, but the power of a story to connect people in relationships and then the relationships to drive change and impact in each community on a hyper-local basis is real. And if we can figure out how to do that, with network effects and building a platform, a platform and economy of storytelling, um, uh, nothing is impossible. So, um, so they bought in. 
I don't think there's a better way to wrap this podcast up with that message. Rachel, if someone's listening to this right now and they go pretty interested in learning how I can better connect and build a community around either my business, my hobbies, my passions, where can they go to learn more about what you're working on? Yes, they can go to tribalapp.com. And right now, even though tribal is for leaders, you know, we want you to experience tribal. And so we invite them to click on the tab that says experience tribal and request to join. Sounds awesome. Rachel, you've been an absolute pleasure today on the podcast. Um, and uh, it, it goes without saying, appreciate your service. Um, yeah, uh, your, your journey is one of the most interesting I've had on the shows, to be honest, in terms of how, uh, the career trajectory you've been on. I just want to say a huge thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.